this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, the lovely, the talented, the one, the only, Mr. Ryan Flurry. I am Ryan Flurry. <laughs> that's the spirit. Yeah, that's right. And you are the one the, and the only because uh, no Steve Barkley this week. Nope, he's busy. He's busy saving the world. Well, I don't know about that. Well. <laughs> but he could be. I don't know. I've been wrong before. He, he could have a secret identity. Oh, well, I'm sure know. he does. <laughs> I, I like the way he said that. Who knows what happens at the Barkley household on a Saturday night? That's right. I'll come the superhero costumes. Uh, how the hell are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, doing all right. Yeah, well, good. good. That's good. I'm. I don't know. I'm a little deflated this week. Yeah, why? It just. I don't know. 2021 isn't really being much better behaved than 2020. There's just a lot of bad news floating around. It sucks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good times. No, no. So, uh, but hey, but let's not dwell on that because this is not the bad news show. That's right. Well, why don't we, you know what, before we go any further, why don't we tell people what we're doing today first? So today from the Canadian Helen Keller Center, joining us is Laura Hayden, who is the Consumer Programs Coordinator. Uh, cool. Yeah, I've been curious about uh, this organization for a while, so I'm kind of glad that we... Uh, that we finally got them on because I know next to nothing about what they do. So this will be a good episode. We're going to do some learning today. That's right. That's what we're all about. That's right. Uh, hey, though, you know, speaking of good news. Hey, did you know that HBO Max is uh, beginning to roll out audio descriptions on their new streaming service? I saw that again. I think it was thanks to litigation, was it not? Well, yeah, we're jumping ahead. That's true. Way to ruin, way to, way to ruin it. But spoiler alert. Spoilers. They did it because they were getting sued. Um, yeah. Well, that's what it takes. Well, you know, and this goes back to that, that, you know, we've said it before. Uh, sometimes that is exactly what it takes. Um, in any case, uh, this is good news because now select titles on HBO Max do have audio descriptions. Uh, so what are the numbers? That's what you're maybe asking. So the agreement calls for at least 1,500 hours of described content uh, as of the end of March. So that's a done deal already. Uh, and they're also saying that they will increase that to 6,000 hours by the end of March 2023. So in two years. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if there's numbers out there for Amazon Prime Video and Netflix to find out how many hours they actually provide now. Because yeah. if you think about it, 6,000 doesn't really seem like a lot when you consider the amount of content that's out there. Yeah, well, it's true. We have, a long, we have, yeah, we have a long way to go before we you know, get to where we should be, which is you know, 100%. But um, you know, it, it's, we're, we're making some progress. 
Uh, and HBO Max, I mean, it's a it's a relatively new streaming service. So the fact that um, that they already have 1,500 hours at this point and they're looking to triple that within two years, I think it's a good sign. Now, as you alluded to earlier, uh, this all came about uh, as this all came about because of a lawsuit that was brought up uh, against them um, through various different advocacy groups down in the States, uh, including our good friends at the American Council of the Blind, uh, among others. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess the cynic in us would have to say that, you know, this is all comes about because of lawsuits. But again, this is, this is why accessibility lawsuits are important. Um, you know, just the, uh, just the threat of litigation uh, was enough to make these guys, you know, do some pretty, pretty serious movement on this. So, you know, that's what the courts are for. Well, and I wonder what the additional costs are to obtain that descriptive audio track. You know, if they've already got the movie and now they're adding the tracks, was that a separate licensing cost? And if so, you know, was that one of the barriers to them providing the service? Be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting. I, I would like, I would love to hear, you know, sort of the real, the deep, a deep dive into um, the the ins and the outs of audio description and just, you know, why it why it isn't ubiquitous at this point. Why everybody just doesn't do hundred percent all across the board. I mean, obviously that there's some there's some costs involved in it's in it's a process. Well, we have a show coming up in the near future that I think we're going to talk a little bit more about audio description and human narrated or synthesized speech, which we're hearing more about on TV programs. So stay tuned for more. Oh, okay. So I have, I have something else interesting to talk to you about. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is something else that I noticed, uh, this morning when I was looking around, um, I was very excited to see here locally, there's a city here close to Vancouver uh, called Chilliwack for all those people who are outside of the Lower Mainland. And I was really excited to see uh, they made a, a bit of a splash here in the local media about how they were really leaning into the idea of diversity and inclusion. And they had given their, their city's website a complete overhaul and made it really, really incredibly um, accessible. You could alter the website depending on whether or not you wanted it to be um, enhanced the, the colors on it to make it more uh, friendly for people with cognitive disabilities or um, fewer distractions. If you had ADHD for blind people, there was a screen reader mode. There was a, a keyboard navigation mode. And, you know, and there, it was, it was, you could just sort of change all these things on the fly. And I, so I went to the site and I started to play around with it. And, and actually, Ryan, I sent it to you. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that you noticed, you were like, hey, this is powered by Accessibe. Right. For those who don't know, Accessibe is an overlay that a company or organization can add a line of code to their website and voila, supposedly your site is now accessible, WCAG compliant, all that sort of web accessibility meeting guideline stuff. There is quite a bit of pushback right now. Accessibility is not the only company doing this, but they seem to be the one that's in the forefront of the assistive technology field and assistive technology trainers 
you know, some of the podcasts that I've listened to, uh, a really good one was done by Jonathan Mosen, who had some assistive technologists on his podcast. And it wasn't a let's attack accessibility, but what were the pros and cons of an accessible overlay? You know, a lot of people are thinking or saying that this is snake oil. You know, can one line of code and AI actually make your website compliant? You know, I, I highly suggest listening to Jonathan's podcast and we'll link to it in the show notes. This goes either way. You can form your own opinion. You know, I definitely do your research, but it's going to be interesting to watch this and see what happens. I did a little bit of digging too here uh, before the show and Accessibility actually has a few lawsuits uh, and and most of them are around this, this screen reader portion of it. And from what I'm taking from this is that Really, this the the problem. The problematic part of accessibility is their screen reader mode. All these other modes that are for things like low vision or you know cognitive impairments, all that stuff is is fine. Um, and it and it actually is pretty cool. Like with using that 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 widget, uh, you can do things like you can make the colors brighter or dimmer or turn it monochrome or turn it dark mode or turn it light mode. Um, all that stuff is is no problem. I think that part of this is that they did not bake the screen reader part of this enough, and that's because screen readers, honestly, it's complicated. It's they're extremely complicated, and so to just sort of try to to roll that into all these other um, accessibility features that Accessibility offers um, may have been a mistake. Now the the lawsuits also do sort of mention some maybe questionable marketing techniques on mm -hmm. behalf of accessibility like things like you know they'll if you sign up with accessibility and put it on your website they'll give you like a little badge that says hey this site is ada compliant and of course and actually it's not well ada doesn't actually have anything to do with websites like <laughs> so you're not actually ada like it has nothing right. to do with with that so it's a little bit of just you know marketing so it is a tough one because, you know, on the one hand, I, I feel like you we want to give companies, organizations, city websites the ability to easily make their websites more accessible. And for them, if they can just go and they can pay whatever the accessibility fee is to put it on their website and it, it helps a, a lot of people, that's great. Um, but I think that you're right. Um, if if they're marketing it to to do something that it actually is not doing, that's where the that's where the problem is. And I don't know if these guys are just were just anxious to sort of get out in front of this first that they did some questionable marketing. I don't know, but I would love to talk to somebody um, who's a little bit more well versed in this and sort of get do a little bit more of a deep dive into into just what some of the problematic aspects of this is. And you know what? Are, what are some aspects that are maybe or are not so problematic? Because um, I, I think that this could something like this that does actually work as intended could actually be something that's that's really quite powerful. I mean, if you think about it, if if the screen reader mode did actually work properly, uh, it would be it would be pretty cool. Well, I will reach out and get some guests to come and talk to us about it. It's a really interesting controversy that's that's brewing out there right now. And and I don't know, like I, I, I sort of don't know, 
anything about these guys and whether or not they are snake oil or if they they have well intentions but their marketing department got out too far ahead of them or or just what the deal is right but i think the big thing to take away from this is that it's actually making a lot of headway because i did notice uh this morning too i went into our our uh, podcast host to go mess around and do some things and i noticed that hey look down in the down, lower right hand corner there's that same icon that was on the website for for the city of chilliwack and i was like oh really and i clicked on it sure enough there's accessibility on this really major podcast hosting platform mm -hmm. so it's it's getting some traction on on like some of the larger websites and it's certainly getting some traction in the in the um mainstream media because it's a little alarming if it's not what it's supposed to be yeah that's a problem yep hi everyone this is steve from canadian assistive technologies and this is a shameless plug we've been working hard to find less expensive braille products so we can make braille available for more people we can now say that we have Canada's most comprehensive lineup of inexpensive Braille solutions, including the 20-cell Braille Me from InnoVision, the soon-to-be-released 40-cell Orbit Braille display from Orbit Research, as well as the world's least expensive multi-line Braille reader, the Canute from Bristol Braille. You can have a look at them all on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Laura Hayden from the Canadian Helen Keller Center. Hello. Hi. Hi. Nice to see everybody. Oh, uh, hey. Well, listen. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, listen. Why don't we start out by just giving us a, an idea of what the organization does and and what it's, some of its mandates are. Sure. So the Canadian Helen Keller Center. Um, has many different components to it. Uh, the part that I work with the most is the Canadian Helen Keller's Centre Training Centre. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, and we are a training centre for individuals who are deafblind so that they can learn how to become or maintain their independence um, as they lose their vision or hearing or as they become older and want to have more independence. And so that's the section that I work with the most, but we also have um, different umbrellas. And so we also, the Canadian Helen Keller Centre is, uh, has a barrier-free apartment building. It has 16 apartments and it is for individuals who are deafblind. Um, and all the individuals who are deafblind who live there have access to an intervener uh, 24 hours a day. There's always an intervener um, in the office. So if they have an emergency or if they want help with something around their apartments, they have access to that. And they also have access to interveners to go out with them in the community. Uh, we also provide outreach services for individuals who don't live at the apartment buildings. They live in the community with their families or on their own. They can also have intervener services to help them. Uh, we also have an emergency on-call system. So if someone does have an emergency uh, with the police, with the ambulances, with fire, they can call the office and someone will come and meet them where their emergency is so that they have access to communication that way. So it's just a few of the things that we offer at the Canadian Helen Keller Centre. Now, now, are you guys based in Ontario? 
Yeah, so we are located in Toronto, um, in North York specifically, um, but we do uh, provide some services to uh, all residences in Ontario. So the training center can provide services to residences in Ontario. The intervener services are mainly focused throughout the GTA, so the greater Toronto area. Now, and what sort of age range do you really find that, that most of your programs and services sort of tailor towards? Uh, so our age uh, starting point is 18 years old. So we don't help anybody who's under 18 and it can range to 100 you know, above. So we've had people who are quite young who have just graduated high school or um, college and they want to have intervener services then um, so they can be helped with interveners or if they are thinking about moving out on their own and they want to develop life skills, then the training center can help with that. We can help with technology, setting that up. We can help with um uh, cooking, uh, learning how to manage your money, learning how to do laundry and things like that. So just general life skills. Right. Um, and then we also have a pretty robust seniors program. So uh, people who are uh, deafblind because of age. And so they might have uh, macular degeneration or they might have hearing loss because of uh that general aging. Uh, we have people who will go with them to um, doctor's appointments or they will help advocate for them in nursing homes or long-term care homes. And so it, the age range is actually quite, quite large. So it sounds like the, mainly the focus of, of a lot of the programs and services is sort of like the help in terms of transition. Is that right? Um, kind of, uh, at the training center, we help with life skills and independent living. And so a lot of it can be transitional. Um, but as far as the apartment buildings and intervener services are concerned, it's, if you are deafblind and you qualify, then it can be someone who receives services and they are not going through transition, but they, um, have interveners to help them right. with doctor's appointments, with going, you know, for walks around the neighborhood. If they have anything that they need to have communication and guiding for, then the interveners are there for help. I see. So, so there's also sort of like an ongoing support component of it as well. Yeah. So the Canadian Helen Keller Center is kind of like an overarching umbrella. And so, as I said before, there's the training center, there's the independent living apartment buildings, there's the intervener services, and then there's uh, the community services that also help. And so it's a large, a large umbrella. Um, but the one that I mostly work with is the training center. One of the things I wanted to touch on a little bit, and this will probably show my ignorance, but mm -hmm. I'm totally blind myself. Yes. And so with regards to technology, what are some of the types of technology somebody who is deafblind might use, let's say, to recognize currency? You know, we, we know about Braille displays, but, you know, is there like deafblind communications? If someone was to walk into a bank and need to communicate to a teller, would they have to have an intervener with them? Um, well, as you know, uh, 
deafness is a spectrum, blindness is a spectrum. So deaf blindness is also a spectrum. And so you have people who are completely deaf and completely blind. And then you have people who have varying degrees of hearing and varying degrees of vision. Um, and so it kind of just depends on where they are in that spectrum. And so if there is someone who is completely deaf and completely blind, then there is technology that can help them. Um, there's I'm trying to, it's the Braille, it was a technology by humanware and I used to know it, but it's a communication device for people who are completely deaf and completely blind and they can communicate with people who have vision and hearing. Um, but it wasn't very popular among our population because if you want to go to some place that is specific, like you know that you'll need help with communicating, then they will usually go with an intervener. Okay. That being said, we do have a lot of Braille display users and we do have a lot of people who use like magnification software is a big one. And we have some people who use voiceover software. It's just a matter of um, like tailoring it. So if you're using the magnification software, then you might use that in conjunction with voiceover. Right. Um, or you might make sure that all of the, the systems that you're using um, has a lot more like haptic feedback. And so you're using the vibrations instead of the voice and you're using things like that so that you're not relying on hearing or relying on vision when you are using the technology. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because we've been in the assistive technology field for well, some of us 20, 30 years, yes. um, but have never really dealt with the, you know, specifically deaf community, mm -hmm. um, you know, when it comes to alarm clocks, you know, like you say, it's a spectrum, you mm -hmm. know, I've heard of, you know, bed shakers and, you know, different things like that. It's, it's got to be fascinating to see what actually is available and where technology might be going. Yeah, it's it's really interesting um, kind of dealing with where deafness and blindness meet because I um, a lot of the technology that we do purchase is more related to blindness. We do a lot um, of purchasing of braille displays and things like that because that's something that people um, really want to learn how to use. But there is a huge component of people who do use things like bed shakers and like vibrating things things but it's always interesting trying to do that from a, a vein of not being able to see to set things up right and so a lot of the bed shakers and things like that assume that people have enough vision that they can easily set these things up but then when you couple you know the need for haptic vibrations with the inability to possibly see what's going on um it can be frustrating. Yeah. I think uh, recently, and I'm by no means an expert on this, I'm not a technology instructor, um, but I am aware of technology. Um, there's been a lot of things that you can use that are connected to smartphones. Um, so like iPads or iPhones or tablets of any kind. And that's been really beneficial because you can usually set up your iPhone or tablet to be accessible to you. And so that kind of smart device is like the the middle point yeah. in which it makes it more accessible. And so that's been really interesting having that ability. And so a lot of times when I do 
um, look for technology, uh, I oftentimes look for ways that it can connect to people's phones or tablets and stuff, because a lot of times that's like the first thing that people get set up for their vision and for their hearing is having their phone because it's something that's easy to do. Right. Most people have them. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, on, on the show a few weeks ago, we had somebody um, from a, a local organization here, the, the Developmental Disabilities Association. Um, and we were sort of discussing, discussing, and, and they do sort of similar things, um, in ter- especially in terms of um, providing housing options for, for people. And I, I know that during that discussion, you know, it sort of came up that for, for us here in British Columbia, uh, housing is is really a problem. I'm sort of curious to hear um, your experience um, being based in Ontario. Is is that one of the the major challenge that the organization finds as well? Is just finding enough housing for people? Uh, yes. Um, I don't know if you know how awful finding housing in Toronto is, but it is. It's pretty similar to. I don't know if it's as bad as Vancouver, but it's on par. Yeah. Like it's pretty similar, um, and so uh, the apartment buildings, the CHKC apartment buildings are rent geared to income apartments. And so they're really good at providing that level of support. So not only are you making sure that everyone's needs are met through intervener services, it's also barrier-free apartments. It's uh, making sure all the signage is accessible, making sure that the lighting is good, and things like that, but it's also making sure that someone isn't spending their whole monthly income on housing. Right. It gets a little bit more difficult when people don't live because obviously there is more than 16 deafblind people in Toronto. Um, yeah. So when yeah. you live outside of that um, apartment building, it can be really difficult to find um, accessible apartments that are affordable. Uh, so we have four um, individuals who work with us who they're called consumer support specialists and they are kind of like caseworkers, for lack of a better word. Um, and so they would be responsible for helping people if with like medical appointments, helping them um, navigate like the job market. And one of their other responsibilities is helping people find housing. Um, and it can be really difficult to have um, affordable, accessible housing here in Toronto. It's definitely one of our more pressing needs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is very similar here, too. I, I, it was kind of a loaded question because I kind of knew the answer ahead of time. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that even just finding accessible housing, period, uh, would yeah. be a, enough of a challenge. But then to, you know, have that component of, yeah, it needs to be affordable as well. Well, yeah, good luck. Um, mm-hmm that you know opens up a whole different conversation about you know the fact that accessible housing needs to just be a thing across the board i mean it's ridiculous that that you know just a general apartment building doesn't have more accessible features built into it aside from you know maybe a wheelchair ramp or uh you know an elevator that is wide enough to take a wheelchair i mean there's so much more that needs to be done on in that in that sense 
Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something that we're looking into for the future um, is to provide more accessible housing. Obviously, it is a big need. Um, but as it stands right now, we have the apartment building that we have, and then we have the additional services for people who are receiving services from CHKC. Um, so the, the CSSs can definitely help as much as possible with that. Now, is there sort of a sort of an educational component of the organization? Like, do you guys try to sort of go out into the general public and, and educate people about deaf blindness? Or are you guys mainly just focused on um, services and programs for people who are deaf blind? Uh, no, advocacy is one of our bigger, um, it's one of the things that we do focus on. Uh, we're trying now more than ever to get the name of the Canadian Helen Keller Center out there because Deafblindness is such a low incidence disability that it can be surprising to most people because they think they're like, oh, I know people were deaf and oh, I know people were blind, but they never thought about the fact that there are people out there who are deafblind. Um, so it's definitely um, a big push recently. Um, I don't know if you knew, but uh, June is actually uh, Deafblind Awareness Month across Canada. Um, because June was the birthday of Helen Keller. And so there are activities that happen throughout Canada, but the main one happens here in Toronto, and it's something called June Fest. The first June Fest happened in 2003, um, and it was started as a way to um, bring knowledge about deafblindness to the general public. And so it is something that happens every year since 2003. Um, It used to be at one location in North York and it was the deafblind community. So it wasn't just CHKC, it was all the other agencies in Ontario who could come, would come, and we would have information booths and we would have um, demonstrations and things like that. And in the most recent couple of years obviously that hasn't been able to happen but even last year because it was in june we weren't able to gather because of the coronavirus but we still the cn tower lights up blue for um deafblind awareness and i think the niagara falls also does and so there's still like a component out there it's just not going to be the same kind of thing that it was in previous years But um, this year we are definitely, we're trying to, we're trying a couple of different things uh, to get the, the word out there that there is people who are deafblind and that services exist for them so that people are a little bit more aware about things. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of the dreaded topic that we normally try not to talk about, but because uh, we're sick of hearing about it, but Talk to us a little bit about COVID and and just what kind of an impact it has had on the organization and how maybe you guys had to pivot some of your programs and and services. It has been a huge pivot for us. Um, For people who are deafblind, not everybody, but there is definitely a group of people who rely on touch for communication. So if you are deaf and you're using sign language, you can usually see 
the signing. Um, if you're deafblind, then you rely on tactile information. So you do like adapted ASL or tactile ASL. Um, or more recently, there's been a huge push for something called pro-tactile communication, which is kind of similar to American Sign Language, but it relies more on touch um, to give you extra cues that you wouldn't get with just straight tactile American Sign Language. Mm. Um, and so when that happened, um, so when the coronavirus happened, it was really difficult because even if you don't use sign language and you are like a, a voiceover user, you still rely on touch to be guided places to get additional information. Uh, and so for the first little while, it was everybody just sitting around trying to figure out how we could continue with the services. And so the intervention arm of CHKC had its own protection for the interveners and things like that so that they could still continue to offer services. But the training center where I work, um, it was really difficult because we had to close down because it was just too many people at any given time. Because if you are working with people who are deafblind, they usually have an intervener accompanying them. So even if you have two deafblind people in the training center, that's at least four people. Right. And four people in close proximity is never going to be like, it can't work very well within coronavirus parameters. And so what I had to do is I had to pivot for, you know, that's the, the word of the year, it seems is pivot. <laughs> so I had to I had to pivot and offer most of our training um, online, which is something that we had talked about previously uh, because we wanted to make sure that our reach would be expanded, but it was always something that we never thought was possible because with online becomes problems with technology, becomes problems with accessibility and everything like that. Um, but when the coronavirus happened, we had to pivot online if we wanted to continue to be relevant and we wanted to continue to offer services, it was something that we had to do. And so it was uh, difficult in the beginning. It was a lot of, um, helping people understand how to access things via Zoom. It was a lot of having workshops and providing notes for people. Um, but it also was really great because we're accessing people who we never would have been able to access before. Yeah. Because if someone was traveling into the training center, you would have to take in like a uh, travel hours and if they had intervention like intervener services if they lived outside of the gta and things like that but now we have everything set up that we are as accessible as possible and we have people who are coming in to not coming in but who are accessing our programs from bc from alberta right. from north bay sudbury and so all of these people who maybe never would have been able to receive training or access our programming they're actually doing it now and it's kind of fantastic right it's not ideal in any ways but it's kind of amazing that it happened no as you say that's one of the things i've been saying for a while now is that as sucky as this pandemic has been it has definitely shown us the gaps in our systems whether it be education whether it be training whether it be whatever the case may be um, you know, we've noticed that we've been able to reach people in the blindness community that we didn't know were out there and are accessing our services as well. Um, 
So there have definitely been some benefits to it for sure. Yeah. And I think that you guys have done a fantastic job. Like I get your emails and I see what you guys are doing and just creating this sense of community is a huge thing for me. And I think that you guys are doing it really well, but um, being deaf blind can be really isolating sure. in and of itself, just because of the nature of deaf blindness. And so you take, you know, an isolating disability like deaf blindness, and then you compound it with you know the isolation that coronavirus yeah. is then you're just that's what i'm trying to do and i think you guys are also doing it is creating a place where people can yeah. like get rid of some of that isolation yeah. and that's a big push for me i've i've been offering many more programming options than i might have otherwise um just to make sure that if anybody wants to join anything in order to make sure that they still have the sense of community they still can so right. so and, and and i and i feel like we're we're i'm, I'm going to be really optimistic here uh, <laughs> uh but but i feel like we're, you. <laughs> we're starting we're starting to get to the near enough to the possible end to all this that we can start to think about life afterwards have you guys at the organization started to think about that and ter in terms of online services and programs? Like, do you think that that going forward post COVID, that's you'll have some sort of a hybrid system where you'll still provide this, this online component for people that you can reach remotely that that don't have to come in? Or do you guys just see going right back to to face to face? I think that we are definitely going to continue with the hybrid model. Uh, there is definitely some clubs and workshops that we offer that make more sense doing it in person. But that being said, that there's a lot of clubs that I can't imagine just getting rid of completely or saying that you have to come into the training center to access. So it might be that some of the clubs remain 100% online and then some of them go back to in-person. Um, or it might be that we still will do in-person clubs, but with um, the option of joining via Zoom. I don't 100% know how it's going to work in the future, but I do know that I'm never going to go back to just offering in-person clubs because it doesn't, um, it's not a, available for everybody you know even yeah. with people who lived in ontario and lived close enough to the center where they could come in for you know a cooking club they would still be using most of their intervener time traveling because the intervener would go pick them up and then travel in and then you would have a certain amount of time and then you would have to leave but when you are accessing it via zoom you don't have any of that you don't have any of the extra time that it takes. And so you can focus more of your hours on things that are beneficial to you. So, and it's also good because I like being able to reach people in different provinces or who live in Ontario, but live too far away. Um, it's been really great to be able to have that. And I don't want to stop having that. Yeah, and that's really that that's really the case here too in BC. Um, you know, it's such a big province, and there are a lot of uh, rural areas and rural communities that aren't anywhere close to, sorry, say, a main hub that would have services that they could just 
you know, drop and, and just go in and, and do a face-to-face visit. So, yeah, I think that a lot of organizations are sort of looking at the same thing going forward. And I think that once you, in the beginning, there was a lot of hurdles. There was a lot of people getting used to the technology and having like the mindset that they won't be able to access Zoom and they won't be able to access all of this technology. But once you get over that hurdle and they do realize that they can, then why wouldn't you continue? Because you've already done all of the hard work. You've already done everything, you know, setting things up, understanding the programs, understanding how to make it accessible. And so it's really at that point, then to continue offering these services online, it's kind of a no brainer because you're able to offer it to more people. Yeah. It goes to show how complacent we've been for so many years. Yeah, and it was, as I was saying before, we had always talked about ways that we could expand our services and we had always said it's not going to happen because technology is not going to be conducive to people who are deafblind. And then we were proven wrong. Yeah. It was like a great being proven wrong. And so it was kind of just like figuring out ways to make it work because we had to make it work. But in the, you know, ultimately it was a, beneficial to everyone so yeah Yeah, and i think that the resistance to that was sort of on all sides too i think that a lot of organizations were were leery about providing any sort of an online service and i think that that people weren't ready for something like zoom like they just weren't (laughs) pre-covid people you know weren't weren't into zooming and now you know it's it's pretty much ubiquitous all over the place so um, yeah, I think that we're, uh, it, it'll be a brave new world, I think, once this is all over with. And, and I do. I think that that will be the silver lining is that uh, we're going to be able to reach a lot more people than we they ever, ever have been before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there is any silver lining in all of this, that is definitely it. Yeah. A more inclusive society. Woo! <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, are there things that I would like to change about Zoom? A hundred percent. But I think that, yeah, even I, I would love to be able to just sit down with like the people who are the programmers for Zoom and be like, hey, I think that you guys have the idea of accessibility, but, you know, users might be the best people to actually talk about true accessibility and i mean even i'm coming at it from a person who is sighted and hearing and so i don't even like 100 percent know the issues that are involved um with zoom but it's just having spent so much time basically almost all day every day moderating zoom clubs and workshops there's definitely issues but it's still better than nothing and it's significantly better than what would have happened if this had happened like 10 years ago. Oh, geez. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. It would have been a completely different situation then. And we would have been unbelievably isolated. Yes, that's well, we would have had to rely on Skype oh. and MSN Messenger. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Don't even get me started on how bad oh. that would have been. That would have been terrible. Oh and no God. accessibility. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I like I say that that Zoom could be better. Yeah. But, you know, knowing that it could have been a lot worse than it is. For sure. 
Gosh, yeah. yeah. We would have all had Nokia flip phones and <laughs> um, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of time. I, I know we have a, a few more minutes with you. Um, so was there, was there anything that we didn't hit on that you want to talk about or, or mention or anything at all? Uh, no, actually, I think we did a pretty good overview. Um, other than to maybe uh, encourage, if you have users who are deafblind, I don't know um, who your reach is, but if they are deafblind and they want to access the services at the Canadian Helen Keller Centre uh, via Zoom, especially right now because all of our programming is online, they are more than welcome to contact me. Um, I don't know if I should give my email address and then we can figure out ways to make it accessible for them so that they are able to um, connect with the deafblind community because we do have everybody, they're not just from Ontario, as I said before, we have people from all over Canada who are joining right now. So if they're thinking that they want to um, access our training and access the, the, the things that we have to offer at the training center, now is the best time to do it. Sir, and what, so what's the, what would the best and fastest way to, to reach out uh, so my email, I have a, my email, my phone is connected to me 24 seven. And so I always get emails um, and it is, uh, I'll spell it out for you. So it's L-H-A-Y-D-O-N at C-H-K-C dot O-R-G. Well, listen, thanks so much for, for taking some time out of your day to chat with us. Um, and yeah, uh, let's have you back on uh, closer to June. Um, and uh, we can talk all about Junefest. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I will. Um, I'll put you in touch with our marketing uh, person, and he is very, very well versed in everything Junefest, and so he'll be able to speak with you more about that. Fantastic. Thank all you right. guys very much for having me today. You're very welcome, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks you as well. Okay. Thanks, Laura. Take care. Okay. Man, wow. Yeah, that brought up a whole bunch of things I hadn't even thought about. Um, I, I hadn't considered how big of an impact COVID would have had on the deafblind community in terms of communication. Um, well, and I think that's something like tweaked my interest as well. And I, I'm going to have to try to find a guest to come on and talk about even just the way deaf and deafblind do communicate. You know, she mentioned ASL, she mentioned a few other different methods tactilely um, of communicating with people. Yeah, I don't know like, if you've seen it. Like there, there's things like palm spelling and stuff where, yeah. you know, I don't know if you've... Yeah, so it could be a fascinating discussion. Yeah, yeah, it would be. It, it really would be. And we haven't really talked much about deaf blindness um, no. on the show before. So yeah, th I think that that would be uh, uh, um, something to talk about. So we'll, we'll mull that over in one of our many meetings june fest damn so dude we were just a few months off if we had her closer to june that would have been perfect i can't keep track of everybody's <laughs> awareness months and i know days i and i can't and... either i honestly i can't either it's, there's too many everybody's got one this is the problem that i have with it i really think that there should be a better vetting system for awareness months because there's just too many days too many like i don't need a spaghetti awareness day like We've clogged the calendar full of ridiculous days so we that have. when you have important ones like June Fest and, you know, Deaf Blind Awareness Month, uh, they get lost in the shuffle of Talk Like a Pirate Day. 
I'm going to I'm going to declare right now on this show and you heard it here first. May 32nd is AT Banter Day. <laughs> okay. May 32nd everybody. AT Banter Day. AT Banter Awareness Day. That's right. Go visit the website, go leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe. And yes everybody, I know there is no May 32nd, but I'm declaring that day. AT Banter Awareness Day. Sorry. That's right. Okay. It's a deal. I don't know who we email about that to get it put, <laughs> put on the calendar, but we'll find out. I'll do some research. That's right. Uh, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also leave us an email if they so desire. If they email cowbell at atbanter.com. And they can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, you know what I meant to ask you? What? Uh, are you still exercising? What's what's your yep. what's, started what's going last on? Friday? Yeah, how's that, that going? Was, uh, it's going. I do thirty minutes every morning before work starts on the bike. So yeah, it's it's going. Yeah. Have you found it's it's pretty hard to adjust to that, or like, do you are you getting up earlier than usual to do this, or you're just sort of building it into your normal schedule? No, I'm getting up ten minutes earlier than I used to. So I used to get up at ten after six. I'm now up at six. I get the dog outside, get the dog fed, and then I just come down to the guitar dungeon where the bike is and turn the tunes on and pedal, pedal, pedal. I actually trying. I was talking to a friend of mine as well, and he suggested the um, the fitness app on the Apple Watch and the iPhone because you get three months free when you buy an Apple Watch. And so I have an Apple Watch that I wanted to get to start tracking some health stuff and signed up yesterday. And so I actually had a, it's pre-recorded, but I had a personal trainer actually guiding me through my 30 minute ride this morning. So encouraging me doing intervals. Wow. Really? Good. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, it was good. Hmm. Well, and uh, do you feel better? Do you, uh, are you noticing anything, any difference yet? I mean, I guess it's kind of early. It's like first week, so. Yeah, it is. You know, like as soon as I get off the bike, of course, my legs are wobbly and stuff and they're a little achy for half the day. But, you know, it's it's fine. You know, they yeah. say it takes, what, six weeks to develop a new habit or to stick with a habit or something. So we'll see if I go the six weeks. You'll do it. I'm sure I will. We'll it's like in. I said, I'm not getting up much different much earlier than i did before anyway it's not breaking it's not changing my routine so man i tell you steve's running you're doing that i'm uh i'm beginning to feel like you guys are trying to steal the podcast by outliving me well and i haven't had fast food in uh, in a year since wow. the pandemic has started um although once we get vaccinated yeah. <laughs> that's getting all thrown out the window but yeah no it's been good you know, it's well. Well, it's good. We'll check in again next week and see if uh, see it's going. <laughs> there'll be a, there'll be our new new bit. I think that's going to about do it for us this week. Thanks everybody for listening in, okay. and big thanks to Laura Hayden for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. Bye bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. 
For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Master of the one take.